Hey folks, this podcast goes beyond the saddle as we explore professional careers across the equine industry. I'm your host, Katie Kleinbell. Let's tack up and head out. Erin Clemochoa is the Chief Executive Officer of Days End Farm Horse Rescue, based in Woodbine, Maryland, and has been with the organization since 2005. Each year alone, her role at Days End Farm Horse Rescue has given her the opportunity to work with and on behalf of hundreds of horses in transition. As a Maryland native, Erin grew up active in the equine industry and was involved with Pony Club and the Potomac Valley Dressage Association. Her career in equine welfare has also led her to become certified as an equine investigator and animal control officer, and she also serves as a member of Maryland Professional Animal Workers Association, a board member representing associations of the Maryland Horse Council, a board member representing Humane Societies of the Maryland Horse Industry Board, and an advisory council member of the Homes for Horses Coalition. Days End Farm Horse Rescue is a member of A Home for Every Horse. This episode is brought to you by the Equine Network's A Home for Every Horse program. Erin, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. This will be super fun. Uh, We're going to start by getting to know you a little bit and playing our games. So go ahead and read your two truths and one lie in any order, and I'm going to see if I can guess which one is the lie. Okay. Um, So I'm going to say we, meaning Day's End, where I work. Uh, We only service the state of Maryland. We don't rescue horses. And we care for over 100 horses per year. Well, I know you rescue horses, so that has to be your lie. (laughs) Right? That is actually one of my truths. It's kind of a, it's kind of maybe a trick question. Um, Oh, you are tricky. Okay, tell me more. (laughs) You know, I was talking about this the other day, and it's very misleading because, you know, when we started this rescue back in 1989 here at Day's End, our founders were actually going out and finding horses that needed to be rescued and were working with owners and taking those horses in. And over the years, Day's End has evolved a little bit more to really supporting the counties that are going out and rescuing the horses and taking them directly from owners. So we only work with animal control agencies, uh, uh, sheriff's office, state police, who are out actually working with the community members and they're actually rescuers and we're the rehabilitators and, you know, sort of supporting that transition uh, from a neglected state into hopefully one um, that is healthy and is able to ultimately go out and find a new home. So I consider us rehabilitators versus rescuers at this point. Gotcha. That is a very important distinction. Okay, that makes lots of sense. Um, Talk to me about kind of the counties and states and so forth that you do serve. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that we found with, with the counties is that you know, one, they don't want to take anybody's horses, that's for sure. So their job is to really go out and help educate and provide resources for owners who are having difficulty caring for their animals. But when that can't happen, interventions required. And so they have to step in and, and unfortunately take people's property. Most of these shelters have space for their cats and dogs, but they don't have any space for large animals. And they also don't have the staff to be able to care or have the you know skill sets to be able to take care of horses. So it became really challenging for them. And that was sort of the light bulb that started Day's End was saying, this is a real need. There's counties who aren't able to go out and execute these 
removal of horses, and sometimes you're not talking about one or two horses, sometimes you're talking about 20 or 40 or 50 horses or, or more. Um, so that becomes a real challenge for resources. And a lot of these officers, they may have have an experience with handling cats and dogs in their community, but have never touched a horse. And so it's very intimidating for somebody. And we do a lot of training to to go out and figure out, like, how do I even assess this horse or touch this horse, much less put it on a horse trailer and get it off somebody's property? So they really have come to rely on Dayzen as being a key partner with them to facilitating um, answering questions about, is what I'm seeing something that I should be concerned about? Or how do I talk to an owner about maybe changing the situation to ultimately maybe having to remove the horses and to rehabilitate the horses um, at our farm? And that's a big piece um, of, of what we ultimately help them with taking to court is, you know, providing that necessary rehabilitation uh, and care and then going in and serving as a witness uh, for the county on, you know, our role and ultimately the transition that the horse is able to make from what it was receiving at the owner's home to the basic necessities that were required for the horse to you know, transition into this new state of health and showing a judge, um, you know, exactly what that took and now what it requires just to maintain that. Sure. Oh my gosh, that's, there's a lot of pieces to that puzzle. That gave us good perspective of it too, because it is a much larger picture, right? Than just going and getting the horses and, and getting them back to health, because there's a lot more that goes on beyond that, right? There's a lot of like tumbling blocks that kind of happen, lots of ripples that you help take care of on the legal side, on the horse side, with the county. That's a big puzzle. Absolutely. For sure. Okay, well, let's let's back up a little bit and, and give some background. So what is Dayzen Farm? And um, just give us sort of like the origin story so that people can get a feel for where you started and what it is now. Yeah, so we were founded in 1989. Kathy Schwartz Howell and her then husband, Alan Schwartz, uh, were looking for something for their son to get involved in who had some disabilities and they ended up finding that he really loved to take horseback riding lessons at a, this therapeutic barn and slowly started getting into horses because of him and learning about it you know i admire our founders they didn't they didn't get started into horses until probably their late 30s you know early 40s when they really got into into you know, building this rescue, but they started to see some neglected horses in their barn and started talking to owners about, hey, could I could I care for, for this horse for you? And from there, a local animal control agent came and said, you know, if you're going to start taking people's horses, you really need to learn the law. And from there, they became just immersed in learning about, you know, this whole process of, of the law side of, you know, neglecting an animal and the consequences to that and, you know, how to facilitate and help animals that they were seeing in their community that really needed to be helped. And, you know, from there, she, what I love about it is she inspired an entire community to join her board of directors, form this nonprofit, come and feed and groom and care for horses and, you know, quickly built this rescue up to being able to help, you know, at, at the, the beginning, maybe just a handful of horses a year to now us sheltering, you know, over 30 years later, over 100 horses a year that we're sheltering at day's end. Um, so, you know, the needs started in this very grassroots, you know, way from a husband and a wife and their whole family getting involved and their their neighbors and their friends being inspired by the work that they were doing and just grew into this 
place now that, you know, we facilitate so many volunteers coming through and so many um, horses and people and, you know, education's become much more of a focus for us over the past decade than it had been at the beginning. Uh, but, you know, for me, I really admire, you know, that they really stayed true to their mission from what they wanted to accomplish in the beginning. And, you know, over 30 years later, that still remains true. And you are a big piece of that too. So talk to us about what is your role at the organization and how has that evolved? Because I'm sure that's had a journey all in and of itself. So I feel so blessed because I wanted to start my own nonprofit and I actually did. Went through the whole like formal process of starting and I wanted to get into therapeutic like equine mental uh mental health and, you know, figuring out how to, to help people with horses. And so, you know, growing up in the horse industry and like my founder, like horses were a, a huge part of my life um, from the show world's perspective of things. And it was my intention to, to continue that in some way and to, in, try to monetize it so that that could be my life and I could still, you know, pay my mortgage and, you know, do all of the things that us adults need to do. And I quickly discovered that starting a nonprofit is like, it's really hard. It takes like a lot of people. It takes a lot of just giving up your own personal, you know, life. And I needed to help sort of pay the bills. And I saw an ad for Days and Farm, you know, and, and I had some background in being able to care for courses. Um, so I answered the ad thinking that I would do this for maybe six months while I was getting things going. And within three months of starting there as their farm manager, I, it was like instantly to me that this was like the place for me. It had all of the things that I wanted in life as far as, um, and a piece of, you know, teaching and the vet side of things and the business side of things. And I, and I also saw that the organization was at a place that it, it was ready just to take off and grow. And I think that what Days End needed, I was bringing and you know, 17 years later, I've been there with them for that long. I think I was able to sort of help them go to the next stage. And I think they were able to help me sort of figure out, you know, where I wanted to be in my career as well. I love when that happens, right? When it's, yeah. it's not just circumstance, like they needed you, you needed them, and yeah. like the timing was just perfect. Yeah. And so as I as I grew with the organization from just working in the in the barn and overseeing, you know, the day-to-day -day operations, um, I then took over doing all of the court side of things where I was managing the casework and going to court and, you know, learning that aspect of how I needed to really think through um how I could better support the horse through my testimony and through my ability to, you know, understand what was needed of me and my record keeping and things like that. And then our founder uh, decided that she was going to retire and the board of directors decided to go ahead and move me into an assistant position for her as at that time, the assistant executive director. And I really then started to look at the organization completely different because now I was starting to dabble into, okay, how do we make this whole thing work? Meaning, you know, we have to, how do you pay to keep the lights on every day? And started really talking more to donors and seeing more of the, the side of the biz, running the business. And when our founder retired, then our board uh, went ahead and elected to uh, bring me on as the CEO. So that was probably, I guess, going on eight years now that I've 
been in that role. And I think it's a very unique thing that I feel very blessed in my career that I got to see all facets of it because, you know, where the farm is now, you know, if I were to leave Days and Farm, I know that they would do, you know, a, a, an executive search, you know, for a CEO to come in because, you know, what's needed at my position now is much different than what was needed even 10 years ago. So really feel blessed that I know what it's like to be down there cleaning the barn. And um, I also know what it's like to, to have to lead the whole organization to make sure we're getting to where we need to go in 30 years from now. Sure. Well, that makes you a stronger leader because you have seen it all the way through. I just want to say I love your journey because you've already busted a misconception that I think a lot of people might have about horse rescues and organizations like that. I mean, your work um, and the fact that like you just said, like they would go out and do an executive search. Um, it's much more, I think, elevated professionally than I think maybe the industry looks at, you know, running a horse business might look like. So I love that you talked us through that because I think you've already busted that myth and you are proof of it. Yeah. And, and you know, it's, you know, horse rescue, the traditional sense of it. And there are when, you know, when I describe to you what we do at Day's End is we don't really rescue horses, meaning we don't go out and take them from an auction house and rescue them from going off to slaughter. Or we don't go out and, you know, take them off of someone's property, you know, that's the, but there are, you know, as we look at rescues that, you know, I work with and do consultations with throughout the country, there's a lot of different types of horse rescue out there. You know, 70% of horse rescues fail in the first three years of starting. So the fact that Days End has been around for over 30 and was able to make that leap from a founder to their next CEO and keep the organization going, it's pretty uncommon in the horse you know, welfare space. Um, I think you'll see it becoming more and more um, relevant as the industry continues to professionalize itself. But, you know, a lot of people start horse rescues because it's a passion that they have. They start it in their backyard or with some of their friends and they find a way to fund it. And that then slowly turns into a business. And But ultimately, that's the key word is it has to turn from a hobby to a business if you really want it to be sustainable and grow. Absolutely true. So, so true. Do you have another um, like common misconception that people might have about what your job is and can we bust it? I will say that I miss, <laughs> don't, you don't underappreciate just the simplicity and the feeling of like going down and just cleaning out a barn and with, <laughs> and it's, it's done, right? You clean a stall and it looks great and it's like a done task. And in my job now, it's very hard to get that satisfaction of a done task anymore because there's so many layers to, to this job that it's hard to just be like, yeah, I'm done with that, that thing for the day and moving on. So you know, never underappreciate the, the littler things. It's kind of like mowing your lawn, right? You get done and you, you know, it looks great. And, you know, but th then it just grows back just like our stalls get messy again, but. <laughs> So true. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And that's, that's hundred percent true. I think as people get that bigger picture, you think, man, okay, I, this is done, but now I have 6,000 other things or, you know, now it snowballs right. into this. <laughs> I hear you. Definitely learning how to multitask. And, you know, I think of my job sometimes as looking like at a big, huge, like, you know, grid board of all of these blinking lights and it's learning what lights I need to pay attention to at what time and what, when I, which ones I need to like sort of let just keep blinking because they're not blinking maybe as bright. <laughs> so that's kind of how I see in my, in my day to day. Yeah. Oh, I, I like that. That's, that's a perfect visual. <laughs> that's the secret sauce though, is figuring right. out which one needs you. <laughs> yes. We talked about your journey to join Days End Farm. Prior to that, like you talked about wanting to start a nonprofit. So kind of what was your journey? What were you doing before then that led you to that space? 
I grew up doing um, Pony Club and, you know, went into the Dressage Association and really enjoyed the show world of things. And I have to be honest, I mean, growing up in a world without social media, it didn't really expose me to a lot of things that my 15-year-old daughter gets exposed to in, in a much quicker way. So I didn't know that people neglected horses. I, I, it was something that it was just, I, I guess, maybe I was very sheltered or something in my life and my experience in the equine industry. But I had seen skinny horses. But to be honest, when we would go to auctions to find projects, you know, the sometimes skinnier horses were seen as like, oh, we can take those home and fatten them up and flip them really quick. And so I have a much different relationship with horses now doing this job for sure. Um, but I didn't see my first neglected horse until I was in my twenties. And my dad was, there was a horse that was down the street from my home. And he said, Oh, it's an off the track thoroughbred that they're looking to get rid of. Let's go down and look at it. And we went, it was a very skinny horse, which I now recognize as that horse needed me to call an animal control agency in my county and say this horse needed help. I left there thinking, okay, that horse is like sick. There's something wrong with that horse. We don't want that horse. You know, and, and I, I was a college educated, you know, smart person. And that sort of kind of continues to inspire me is to say, let's not assume that everybody knows what to do when they see a neglected horse or that that horse is not sick. That horse is actually neglected. It just, it didn't fathom me that somebody would, you know, just not feed a horse. Wow. That's powerful. Yeah. Let's take this moment then to tell people, I mean, what, what should they do? Right. Let's do a little educating right here, right now, if you don't mind, Aaron. Well, gosh, if I had picked up the phone and just called and, and just, you know, kind of the see something, say something, I could have changed that horse's entire life. I have no idea whatever happened to that horse. It, you for all I know, it could have died a couple of days later or, you know, they could have sold it and somebody could have, you know, done something. But you know, the key thing is, in my experience, I think a lot of people are, like, are afraid thinking, that, you know, if I call this in, you know, my neighbor's going to find out or the animal control, in my experience, has, they genuinely want to go out and help the person find a solution for their animal and help them take care of it. You know, that's that. So it, instead of looking at it as you're going to get somebody in trouble, really look at it as you're trying to help somebody give them a resource that they might not know about or not even know that they need. So maybe that person was having financial trouble and if they could have found some safety net programs, they, they could have gotten that horse some help themselves. And maybe, you know, we have seen where a lot of these cases turn into there's people intervention that's actually needed. We'll have a, somebody going out to read an electric meter, see something uh, with animals and, you know, calls it in. And, you know, the next thing you know, the owner's able to get resources for things that are helping not only the animals eat, but them eat. So really, you know, looking at it as, you know, this is you helping that person and that animal kind of find solutions to the situation that they're in. So definitely just letting somebody know is probably the key thing that you can do. For sure. No, that's great. And, and kind of keeping in mind that larger like socioeconomic picture, right? Like your yeah. love for horses is your gateway, right? Like you want to help that animal. Uh, but right. maybe you said help for that animal isn't actually removing the animal from that situation necessarily. Maybe it's let's help the owner, let's help the human and, and have best case scenario for both. Absolutely. Yeah. That's great. I love that that, I mean, as sad as it is to think about that image of that horse, but 
from that horse, fast forward now to all like the hundreds of horses that you see every year that you help with. I mean, he, he really, he planted that seed in you and now it's blossomed in this big, beautiful thing all because of the passion that was inspired by that one, that one moment. Yeah, absolutely. A Home for Every Horse is a resource for 501c3 rescues, sanctuaries, and care facilities. Its mission is to provide support for these organizations through the program's many sponsors and equine network resources. By partnering with the Unwanted Horse Coalition, A Home for Every Horse is dedicated to bridging the gap between rescue organizations and those who can assist them. Brighten your days by following A Home for Every Horse on Facebook and Instagram, and head on over to ahomeforeveryhorse.com to find rescues near you and heartfelt success stories to brighten your day. Yeah, so I think as we as we continue to grow as Days End, you know, what we found that was really the key piece of making sort of how do you how do you take equine welfare to the next level? And it really is so it's so centered and seated in education. And we decided to be kind of a point of entry organization. And I think that that's it, it is really unique for Days End in our industry is to let anybody anybody. I mean, if you come to organization, 1200 people come through our farm every year just to volunteer. And of the 80% of those people are brand new to, to horses. They've never even touched a horse before, but they're inspired in some way to get involved. And, you know, we allow that. We don't say, you know, you have to be experienced to come to Day's End. And so that means that we have to have a focus of educating at Day's End. Everything that we do is, is centered around training up our staff, training up our volunteers, and really being a place that people feel that they can ask questions, that they that they have a space that they can, you know, make a mistake and, you know, still remain safe or to continue to learn. And so, you know, the education is happening on a day-to-day -day basis with our volunteers, but then also in a more formal way by offering a lot of classes um, at our farm. And, you know, that's sort of the next step for Day's End as we continue to grow is to continue to build on those offerings and to continue to bring in more and more of the public. So expanding, you know, we're open for tours every single day of the week. And I have yet to meet another horse rescue who can say the same. Uh, they actually look at me like I'm crazy when we say that we're open every single day for tours. You know, it's crazy because most of the time you want that to be more structured or, you know, set up in a way that you kind of know when to expect people. And we have no idea. People can just drive by our farm and stop in and say, hey, I want to see what's going on here today. And we will stop what we're doing and find somebody to take you around and show you. And so having that level of transparency with the public and being a farm that wants to be open. And, you know, at the end of the day, this is not my farm. This is this, this is the community's farm. This is the community's work. And, you know, that's a really important aspect that we want to continue to grow um, as we go into this next you know, decade uh, is really expanding on making us even more accessible to the public, and not only here in Maryland, but all over the world. That is a beautiful vision. It really is. And I hope it inspires um, people to get engaged, right, to reach out and have those conversations with you guys or with their own local horse rescue so that they can get involved like that. But also, I hope it inspires other organizations like yourself to 
to have that same level of transparency and that same level of vision. Because I think you're right. Like, if the public has a safe space to come to ask those hard questions and to, you know, see those those horses or those animals that are in that hard point of transition, it just it raises that level of awareness. We can all do better for each other, right? Collectively. Yeah. Well, and the horse industry can be intimidating if we're honest with each other. Like it, it, it is. <laughs> yes. It's not something, you know, I was lucky I grew up in it, but you know, I know our founder, you know, getting started in her forties, you know, really struggled to be like, you know, why are you doing this? Like you, you don't have horse experience. And so, you know, she really had to humble herself and, and, you know, work with people and listen, you know, to the vets and read tons of books and, you know, think that, that is that coming in to this organization for her is a complete, I'm not a horse person. And to start something like this, I think really just became a foundation for what the organization wanted to achieve um, even today. So being that what I call a point of entry organization, I think is super important for, for businesses to consider how do you engage people and into your, into your farm. And a lot of these people who come to us won't stay with us. We know that, you know, being point of entry is saying, here's a place to set a good example, to see how it should be done. And then ultimately go out into the industry and continue to grow your skills. But hopefully they've now seen a way of doing things or how horses should be cared for or treated that, you know, builds their own foundation and, in a very, you know, equine welfare, humane way that will continue to grow and into other areas of the industry over, over time. Sure. Yeah. It actually helps the industry more, right? If they yeah. come and, and they learn and they see, and then they go and do themselves, like that's really cool rather than just mm-hmm. keeping all those good folks to yourself. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. Well, let's talk a little bit more about you and your professional journey. I mean, you have some serious clout there. Um, so do you have advice for anyone that might be looking to to land in a similar place leading an organization like this? What advice would you give to someone like that? I will say it's more important that I understand business than it is horses. So knowing horses is obviously very important in running a horse rescue, um, but it's not the most important thing. So me you know, self-educating or formally educating myself in the business world is probably what is helping me be most successful in my job. Um, I was lucky that, you know, I had, I had taken business classes in college. I had a basic understanding of, I mean, gosh, even just how to use Excel is like such a, it's such a, a skill set that, you know, will help you be, you know, a leader in your organization. But I was lucky that I ended up going through a, a certified public managers course, which was an 18 month course um, at the University of Baltimore. And it really set me up for understanding how to, you know, manage teams or to uh, write, you know, grants and, you know, continue to grow my skill sets that will make me a better leader and, you know, a better business person. But so that would definitely be the key is if you can't get the formal education, just start devouring business podcasts and blogs and, you know, to see how entrepreneurs have been able to grow some incredible businesses. There's so much out there now, you know, you just take these little, little nuggets here and there and, you know, you keep putting them into your own company and, you know, you really see things take off. So I, I would recommend just, you know, really, just really immerse yourself in the business side. It's amazing too, how many free resources there are like that. Like if you're dedicated and you just 
search Google. Like it's amazing what you can find to help you learn those skills. I a hundred percent agree. I think, you know, college was sort of, you know, the place that you had to go, but you know, nowadays there's, there's so much more, not to say that college isn't very important because, you know, it is, but it's certainly, you know, I probably learned way more from just really seeing how other people were doing things and, and getting inspired and taking ideas and running with them. Sure. And like kind of continuing education yourself, you know what I mean? Like yeah. college is great to give you that foundation, but then to really get niche and like figure out ways like, all right, I'm in this Excel sheet. I know that I need it to manage X, Y, or Z, but gosh, I, there's gotta be a functionality, right? So like Googling it, learning it, watching yes. a video on it, you know, something like that, just to keep your skills fresh and like, just to really dive into it. Sometimes it's a lot easier after college to learn those minute things. Cause you know how you need to apply it. Absolutely. Yeah. I've definitely gone onto YouTube to figure out how to, to do things. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's a good hack for sure. Yeah. In your own words, I'd love to know what you consider to be an equine industry professional. You have a very unique perspective on this because of where you came from and where Days and Farm was founded, right? By someone who wasn't necessarily a horse person, but now I would consider an equine industry professional. So I'd love your take on that. Yeah. I think it's someone who's working to advance the equine industry. You know, we have to be an industry that's consistently, you know, growing and looking at, at new ways of doing things. And we are definitely, in my opinion, in, you know, the technology revolution you know, right now. And so you have to continue to evolve with it. I think somebody is that you know, they're advancing the equine industry if they're professional in it. Yes. Love that. That is simple and beautiful. Absolutely. So if you feel that relates to you people, I'm just telling you, you're an equine industry professional. <laughs> We're all in this together. Well, let's talk about horses. Everybody wants to talk about horses. So do you have horses personally, or do you just love all the ones you get to be with at the farm? So I started, when I started working at Day's End, I had five. I now have none. <laughs> so it's funny, <laughs> it's funny when you're in the um, industry, you know, I think you know, one, I have access to 80 horses every single day to go down and, you know, see and love and, you know, be around. So I'm around horses every single day. Um, but horse ownership looks so much different to me now than it used to, because working with horses and seeing them in transition states, it makes me feel if I were to get another horse that I would have to make like a really big commitment to that horse for the rest of its life. Um, so for me, I think finding other ways to be for myself engaged with horses or my daughter who's 15, you know, whether it's leasing horses or finding, you know, barns where you can go and you can participate and really learn about horses. But, you know, at 15, she wants her own horse. And I'm like, you can make that decision later when you can make that decision for yourself for the next, you know, 20, 30 years. But it's just my, it's because I'm seeing so many horses coming out of neglected states and horses that we've gone back and tracked that, had owners two or three times before they landed into this spot that genuinely like loved these animals, you know, so it's, it's hard for me now in this job to sort of not think longer term uh, with horses than the today. Sure. Oh, absolutely. I, I imagine so. And I love, um, I want to talk about your daughter for a minute because I mean, I was that crazy. I think I got like my first like serious like show horse when I was like 13, who I still have today and I love dearly. But I don't think, I don't know, like as a parent, you want to do that, right? Like you want to give them that experience and all those things. But now I have this, you know, 30 year old horse that 
I, you know, I love and I will make sure she, you know, has a day to be happy till the day she dies. But I didn't make that choice when I was 13. You know what I mean? Like, it's a long journey together. And sometimes people forget. My parents got me into horses. And I think my dad spent a small fortune to keep me away from boys as a teenager. And, you know, that's, that was sort of <laughs> motivation and, it, you know, it worked out great. And I was so appreciate that they gave me that experience because it, it built a lifelong love um, for horses. It was, it was something that, you know, I will be forever grateful for that I had that experience. And, you know, for my daughter, you know, I was pregnant at Days End Farm. So she literally, you know, has been a part of this horse rescue experience her entire life. Well, probably in, you know, 20 years from now, when she's reflecting on her relationships with horses, we'll, we'll see it much differently than I did because she's seen horses coming in in very bad conditions since she was a little little girl. So I think it's, it's amazing to, the, gosh, just the relationship that horses have with people is amazing. You know, when you really think about it, the fact that they'll allow us to have this, you know, predator prey relationship with them and to see how much abuse and neglect that they have suffered before they come into days end sometimes and to still trust us and to, you know, allow us to catch them and get on them. And, you know, they just have such an amazing soul that, you know, I'm, I'm honored to get to work with them every day and, um, and hopefully inspire other people to, to see the value in taking care of them and making sure that they continue to have a place in our, in our, you know, society. Oh, absolutely. They give me, just thinking about that gives me goosebumps every single time. Well, Erin, this is awesome. I think you've done a a really good job painting the picture of what Days End Farm is and also your role and how it's evolved um, with the organization and and, and where it continues to go. So thank you so much for coming on the show, sharing that journey with us and just being an open book. It's, I really appreciate it. Great. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed talking to you today. Yes, of course. I'm sure um, other people, I'm hoping, are feeling inspired by this um, and they may want to reach out, connect with you. Um, What's the best place they can do that? Definitely come to our website. You can learn all about our programs, how to visit the farm. If you want to get involved either by volunteering or just coming in for a tour, um, you, know, you can you can read transformation stories, see some of the horses that we have available for adoption. So at DEFHR.org is a way to sort of starting point to see us. We're on Facebook and Instagram, TikTok. We just launched a really fun TikTok channel that our trainers are having fun showing everybody, you know, little little snips of things that we're doing at the farm. But we'd love to get connected with with you and kind of show you what's going on at the farm and hopefully inspire you to continue to get involved. Perfect. That's awesome. Fabulous. And just to wrap it up, um, I'd love for you to share like a closing thought. So food for thought, or maybe your favorite quote, just something you want to leave the audience with. So they look back on this episode. That's how they'll remember you. You know, I think just figuring out how in your own business, your own new career um, in horses is how can you inspire somebody else to just care and appreciate horses? Um, You never know where that that seed of an inspiration will, you know, take off and flourish. And, you know, whether that's with working with kids or, you know, sharing stories about horses, um, you know, with your friends and family or neighbors, you just, you never know what's going to kind of click with somebody and ultimately maybe make a big, big difference in the horse industry. Thanks for riding along. Know someone that would be great to interview? Have questions you'd like answered on the podcast? 
send me an email at beyondthesaddlepodcast at gmail.com or join the conversation on social media. You can connect with us and learn more about the Beyond the Saddle podcast by following us on Facebook and Instagram at Beyond the Saddle Podcast. Find more episodes anywhere that you get your podcasts, such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. Beyond the Saddle is a production of the Equine Podcast Network, an entity of the Equine Network.